January 29th, 2020, Tomiwa was about to graduate, and he started thinking of setting up his own budget after graduation. But what shocked him is when he looked at his bank statement that shows $64,000 in debt. He questioned himself that how did we create a society that the average student is starting their career with $28,000 behind the starting line? Tomiwa decided to take on the challenge himself and create Attila to help students land scholarships and connect with mentors. Tomiwa is also a software engineer, blogger, a writer, and avid reader. He's a true polymath with a passion for not only education but the future of AI and the potential of blockchain technology. We've covered so many topics, including how Tomiwa used ChatGPT to create a crypto wallet, the recent Twitter spanning controversies, and so much more. It was an absolute honor to know and have an intellectual conversation with Tomiwa Admedin. Please enjoy. All right, Tomiwa, it's really excited to have you on here, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Frank. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's it's I I see you posting a lot on Twitter, and I and I genuinely um uh, what you post is very interesting. You give your uh, in depth thought, and that recently I saw um that you use ChatGPT. Uh, to write code, and specifically, you wrote a crypto wallet, and I thought that's very fascinating. And and um, yeah, tell tell me a, a little bit more um, on how you get started using GPT and actually using it to write code. Yeah, so this is a very interesting thing where I feel like half of my Twitter feed, all they can think about is ChatGPT. I'm either have them even <laughs> know what it is, and I think this is why I always tell people like you have to like curate your information flow in the right way, so like you're getting because basically, like you know, ChatGPT is one of those things that. The day it launched, basically all I was seeing on Twitter was ChatGPT, and you know, you know, the kind of feed that I have, the, the filter bubble I kind of live in, we, we we're prone to hyping things up and then just kind of forgetting about stuff. So like, so I saw this, I'm like, and eh, whatever, this is just it's just hype. You know, it's just more hype, more hype, more hype. And then I'm just like, you know what? Like this, like this looks pretty impressive. Let me just try it out. And so I think I actually tried it out maybe like the Thursday before I went somewhere. I, I think I tried it on a Thursday. I'm like, okay, this is like it's like a cool toy. But then, like you know, I've been planning to build this crypto wallet for a while now. Let me ask ChatGPT to help me build this wallet. And once I tried it out, I was obsessed. Like I remember, like I, I had to go to I had to go to like a friend's par- birthday or a party, and then maybe like I was supposed to leave house like let's say eight o'clock or like seven o'clock, or like maybe even six. And I left at, like seven thirty because I just didn't want to get. I was just obsessed with how like I still can't even till today. I still can't believe like how powerful it is. So. Yeah, I was just on my Twitter feed over and over again, and then I finally tried it out. And most importantly, like I tried it out for an actual problem I had, and I was blown away. Do you, Do you think it's helped you to increase your efficiency, or it's doing things that you couldn't even do? So, w- which one was it? Like, is it creating both? Both. Like, I'm crazy? telling you, yeah. This this this, this ChatGPT is going to change everything. Like, like because basically, because the way I was thinking about it is that I knew how how a lot of people think about it is that is is if this is what it's doing now. Once you like remove the token limit, once you allow APIs, so like you can you can do stuff iteratively. Like for example, I saw something the other day. Um, I was so there's this there's this um GitHub thing called maybe Awesome ChatGPT, and I can send you some links if you want to like put them in the show notes. Um, yes. Yeah, actually, remind me, I'll send I'll, I'll send you these links. It's called Awesome yes. ChatGPT. Anyway, so basically, I was playing around with this stuff for like different things you can do with ChatGPT, and then one of the things that I saw there was basically someone built a bot that ties into GitHub. So you write a code, you push it to GitHub, and ChatGPT automatically reviews and says. Hey, there's some bugs in your code, and then I actually left an issue saying to the guy, I'm like, "Hey, instead of just asking ChatGPT to like, you know, um, comment on the code, why not just ask it to just rewrite the code without all the our human mistakes?" Mm. 
Right. right? So like, it's, it's going to change everything. But what do you think about ChatGPT? Have you used it yet? Yeah, so I have been using it. So um, as a person that loves to optimize the outcome, as an entrepreneur there, you have like 10 million things you want to do. And the best way to do it is to find the, the most uh, productive way to do it. So I, I was using it to write uh, code emails, actually. So um, before I had to write a template and for each person I have to target it uh, using uh, writing different ones. But after using it, I, I can send out like 100 code emails very targeted to each person's um, you know, what they do very quickly. And I was showing it to my friend the other day and he was, uh, he was kind of cheap. He was like, um, this feels wrong. Um, cause you know, a lot of stuff, to be honest, it's, it's about learning. It's, it's about having the skill to be able to write the piece of code or to be able to write a, a great code email so that others respond. So what he thinks is it feels wrong. He, he feels that it's really, it didn't allow you to learn and actually go through the trial and error to reach that outcome, but rather focus on the outcome a lot more. And the reason why I want to ask you is because uh, you're in the education space. Mm. Um, so I wonder, like, do you feel wrong using it? And how, how do no. you feel about it? Like, I feel no? great using it. You know, the, the way I like to do <laughs> this, is what I, this is actually what I like to do. I like to like when people say, oh, ChatGP, and you see like the artists too, they're now, they're up in arms, right? Because they're saying like AI art is not real art. And I think what I like to do is I'm like, take the same argument that people are using for ChatGPT remove the word chat GPT and replace it with the word internet, replace it with the word computer. And all the arguments basically fall apart because you realize in retrospect, like, you know, you know, I, the thing I find most fascinating about chat GPT is like, I remember like reading articles of people saying the internet, like the internet will never be useful. Computers are a waste of time. I'm like, how do they not see, like, I mean, it's easy for us now in 2022 to say, okay, yeah, it was obviously things are useful. Like, how did they not see it? And then now hearing the things people say about chat GPT, I'm like, I see it now. Like people can only look at uh, technology in the current state in if everything goes wrong. But the thing about how can it make, I, I do, I, I still like, you know, I'm young enough to remember, I'm a pretty young guy. I still remember when Wikipedia first came out. Do you remember what people used to say about Wikipedia? What, what did they say? They said, um, it's, it's not reliable. It's, 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 it's not as trustworthy. Anyone can add to Wikipedia, blah, 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 blah. Right. Now it is. I remember it was a meme in school. So this, the teacher would say, you know, uh, go do a research and put in your bibliography, but you know, don't try to use Wikipedia. It was like a well-known meme in, in, you know, throughout high school. Exactly. And then now everybody's using Wikipedia for all kinds of information, <laughs> right? And so I right. think that this is the thing, so the same thing that happened with ChatGPT. So basically what people are worried about is, and then this is what I'm, this is what I always say, right? It's like, if someone's asking you to do something that can easily be done by someone else or on the internet, then you need to fix your assessment ways of doing things, right? So um, basically now, like basically, like this is why now every exam should be open book, right? It's like if 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 you're asking someone to do something that ChatGPT can already tell you, then then that changes. Then you should basically be at, you should basically be asking exams where ChatGPT can be used as a resource, not hiding it in a corner for something somewhere. Mm. There's this guy on Twitter that I really recommend people follow called Ethan Mollick. So he's, he's a, he's a professor at Warner. I think he has one of the best approaches to ChatGPT I've seen, which is that look. So his own, his own kind of tongue in cheek, which is that if students are using ChatGPT to cheat on exams, which I don't think it's cheating, but you know, they, they, to cheat, then teachers can cheat back and just have ChatGPT grade their exams as well. Right. And then you'd be like, <laughs> that's really interesting, man. And you, you, oh, you know what, you know, what's super interesting. This is another way I think, um, AI can go where we can actually have many worlds. And this is a case for simulation theory where you're just surrounded by chat GPT bots that are just talking to each other. So for example, so you know what shadow banning is, right? Shadow banning. Yes. Yeah. So basically shadow banning for anyone who doesn't know, it's like this idea that, 
um, you know, basically you put out a tweet, but no one actually sees it. You don't, you think right. people are seeing it, but no one actually sees it. Who yeah. And, and in the recent, in the recent Twitter file, they actually exposed they're using shadow banning on a lot of the politician on the right side so that their uh, message wasn't getting showed, even though they posted a thing, it's not technically banned. Right. So the next nail after that is what's called heaven banning. Heaven banning. <laughs> the heaven banning is when your tweet goes out and people, yeah. people see it, but it's not actually people. Basically that your tweet goes out to an army of bots that just basically agree and amplify everything that you say. Right. Okay. So let's say you say that we should, we should, we should, we should punch anything that has the, that is the color blue. We should punch any, any wall that is blue, just punch blue walls. And maybe you're, you know, you're blue wall conspiracy theorists. Instead of them shedding your threats because inciting violence to blue walls, they just basically get a bunch of people that rally around and say, oh my goodness, you were so smart. That's a great idea. And then, so it's like, instead of you like, so basically it's like, because if they shadow ban you, you'd be like, hey, why am I going to engage my, you might go somewhere else. But then if they surround you in a bubble of yes, man, and sycophants, and people just agree with everything you say, then you just live in that delusional world. And and the, and those bots can't really be detected um, by... You know, and you know, yeah. it's, it's another thing that's interesting too. I saw another thing. Someone was talking about how, you know, because I don't know, I don't know like, if you're on Instagram, it's like, this is why I kind of like Twitter better. But if you go to like places like Instagram and you look at a lot of public, right. let me ask you this question. If you go on yeah. a popular Instagram account and you look at the comments, what do you usually yeah. see? Uh, beautiful women showing their body. <laughs> uh, okay, that's man. not where I was going. <laughs> that's what I see. <laughs> that's not what I was um, so, Let's so let's go on like let's go on Lionel Messi, Drake, Cristiano Ronaldo, LeBron, any of these famous any of these famous people. If you go on their Instagram page and look at their comments, it's all just basically yeah. emojis and stuff like. Or even LinkedIn, you see the same thing. It's basically like NPC comments. So like, congratulations, wow, emojis, heart. These just like basically low value comments, and they basically sound like bots, but those are real people because like you know those people, so you know those are real people. But it's very like low value comments. And then right. basically there's some of some other world in which basically you have social media pages that are just armies of bots. But the thing is that bots can actually, bots actually have better pros than a lot of humans. Like if you look at ChatGPT, if we're being honest about it, ChatGPT is like probably like in the top 5% of smartest people we know, right? Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like I can right. probably count on my hand, maybe, maybe like 20, so maybe I know 20 people, 100 people in my life that are as smart or smarter than ChatGPT. Mm. Everyone else, ChatGPT is smarter than them. Mm. So already you have you have you have a human that if they were on any social media platform, they would be better commenters than the average person on that social media platform. And I, I think the reason why is I'm not sure if you tried LinkedIn. So what happened is when someone posted a post or for example an update on their career and LinkedIn sends you a prompt saying, I have this, um, you know, congratulations, you know, you know, happy for you. And instead of having those, they can have a, the ChatGPT auto automatically generate a, uh, um, a a sentence based on your personality and just post and, no, and nobody else knows it's generated from a bot. And you know what's crazy? And There's also this thing, um, it's called, I think it's called subreddit simulator. So basically what that is, is it's a subreddit full of bots that are just talking to each other. Right. And the funny thing is like, there's a very near future where you could just have social media pages where it's like, it's not even humans anymore. And like, let me ask you this. Does that matter? Would you care about that? Um, I think... So, so there's a precondition. If it's um, posting great content that's useful or helpful for human being, I think that is um, helpful. And I would love to have that be around, but it should be very clearly said that this is not human or this is not, is not human posting it because that might cause a lot of trouble. And 
Um, I, I think there's there's a lot of um, uh, even in the meta world, uh, metaverse, there's a lot of uh, imaginative figure that's being created that has their own personality that have a, a, a figure attached to them. But they're very clear that they're digital. There's no human beside it. So I, th I think as long as they make it clear it's not a human, uh, as long as providing good value to the society, I think it's a positive ad. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, honestly, like, like to me, the, the thing I just can't wrap my head around is, I, again, I feel like half of my friends and people I follow and people I know, like, all they can think about is ChatGPT. And I know people that literally have no idea what ChatGPT is. And I just uh -huh. can't. And this is why, like, you know, the AI the singularity, like, you know, they, they, there's this thing called AI Foom. Do you know what AI Foom is? No. What is AI Foom? Oh, my goodness. Such an interesting concept. So you can think about it as, like, we're standing at a train station and we're humanity. And there's mm. a high-speed train called AI. And we're watching it <laughs> from the distance. And we're like, whoa, AI, AI, like AGI is coming soon. AGI is coming soon. And the mm. idea about AI Foom is that it's like a train that's coming. And then it's like, Whoa. so basically, it's like, this is human intelligence. And right now, AI is so like maybe 1997. And like, you know, like um, Deep Blue beats like Gary Gasparov, then you have AlphaGo. So it's like, you know, oh, it's almost as smart as us. Almost as smart as us. Almost as smart as us. It's almost as smart as us. And then it just, whoosh, so it basically becomes smarter than us. And we don't even, and like, and like, the thing is, it goes from as smart as us to like smarter than us in like a blink of an eye, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. So the idea of AI Foom is that, you know, for us, that kind of, kind of understand what's going on with AI. We're like, yo, this thing is insane. But the thing about AI Foom is that by other people, by the time other people realize like, we have like AI that like, can take over the world. Like it's already so powerful that like people's brain can't even comprehend how powerful AI is now. I, I think it's going to slowly integrate with our life. I think it's in a lot of parts it already is. So I was, I was giving this example to my friend where, you know, how fast smartphone has been with our life. So, um, you know, people just accepted it to be a part of it. But if you imagine 10, 10 years back, um, we didn't even know what smartphone is. And, and, you know, it's, 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 it's so crazy to think about, something that we're carrying around nowadays, it's uh, happened in a, such a quick time. And I would imagine it will happen the same to AI. And for example, like the, um, um, when you're typing email, the Gmail autocomplete, that is AI generated and it predicts what you want to say in the end. And people think it's a good feature and it's already integrated. So I think in the next few years, AI will be everywhere in our life without us even knowing. And like you said, it's going to go like a train and hit us really hard. When we look back, we'll say, oh shit, this is AI that, that you know, um, that's been around us you know, for a while. You know what I was thinking about the other day? Someone was talking about how, yeah. so like, imagine you send someone and like, let's say, let's say we're booking this email, right? <clears throat> and then you say, hey, hey, Tommy, I want to chat with you about ideas. Can't wait. But it's an AI that sent me the response, right? That sent me the invite. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know what I mean? So let me just, let me just send AI hate and like write an invite to Tommy Wa talking about how much you love Attila and ChatGPT. So it knows Attila. It sends me, hey, Tommy Wa, ChatGPT, Attila is awesome, blah, blah, blah. Can you come? And like, I don't want to waste my time replying either. Let me get ChatGPT. So then you invite me with the ChatGPT. I reply with the ChatGPT and then we find a time. And then there's this thing that someone was talking about how like, like there's a, I forget what it is. You can probably Google this and find something that someone developed an AI, like two AIs to talk to each other. And they basically developed their own language, right? Because mm, right, I, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. And they, they someone even developed their own like uh, coding language as well. Yeah, because it's very interesting because, like, you know, we humans, we use words, you know, but sometimes maybe we're very low bandwidth communicators. So it takes yeah. a lot of words and sometimes you don't use the right words. But it's like if someone is super intelligent, they can probably figure out what they're trying to say. Like, it's like when you talk to, like, a really smart friend and you guys are both, like, on the same page or even, like, a family member you know really well. You can, you can like, you guys know, what, you guys can, like, talk to right. each other with very yeah. few words. So that an AI that's even, like, 10x smarter than us, 
it could just probably like talk to each other like in like dot like, like five characters and everybody gets what they're saying. I, I I guess there's a good way and bad way. You you really optimize for the efficiency. You know, we can use the same amount of time to get more things done. And I think the human uh, society will uh, will progress and advance in a much faster pace. But what do you think happens in terms of human relationships? Um, like you know, me sending you with a ChatGPT message and you sending me back. Um, you know, while we think you know we're genuine about each other, like interacting, but in reality we're using bots. So like there there are definitely some drawbacks, right? So what, what do you think on that point? That's a very, you know, that's a very question. That's me. I ask myself a lot too. I even ask myself, it's like, like, like what, like what, what, what will we do all day? You know, and again, people say the same thing about the internet when, you know, it first came out, the computer's like, Hey, if, if you're not the right stuff anymore, like, what will we do? Like, I literally ask myself, you know, like a lot of us write because some people write for work, but some of us actually enjoy writing. Like I enjoy writing, you know, I like mm, talking right. to my friends, but if you can just yes. automate that stuff to social media, it's like, what will we do all day then? And, you know, maybe it will bring back in-person interactions you know, where or like live face-to-face -face stuff where it's like, okay, if we're going to be talking over a chat, it might just be, I don't know. I, I do, th I basically what I think it was going to end up happening is that all the boring stuff that we don't want to do, we'll just have chat GPT do like, like scheduling stuff, right? Like if you want to schedule a meeting with me, that's like a very, it's like a low, in a way it's like a low value communication thing. Cause it's just like, right. it's basically picking time on the calendar. Like, Hey, I like what you're doing. Put your time on my calendar. So AI and you, my AI and your AI will just do that stuff without us. But the conversation like this, like this is, you know, fun. I like talking with you. That stuff we could still do as humans. Well, you mentioned you like writing. Have you mm -hmm. used ChatGPT to with your writing? You know, it's interesting. I'm I'm about to like so that's that's what I'm preparing to do sometime this week. And um, it's gonna be interesting. But I and this is also why I think that people need to like. It's all about you have to make sure you add value. Because I think a lot of mm -hmm. people like and I've noticed this before. On like when people post like Twitter threads or LinkedIn posts, I'm like, even before ChatGPT came, I'm like, this is all just generic advice. Like, there's nothing here that's insightful. But right. I think you know, people that write in very unique tones and have unique insights, I don't think ChatGPT is at that level yet. Like, I think mm. about someone like a Paul Graham, a Nassim Taleb, yeah. people that have insight. Um, Robin Hanson is a great example of this. Brian Kaplan, people that have very unique insights and like very mm -hmm. contrarian ideas. ChatGPT is not at their level yet, so I think it's going right. to force a lot of people to like. If you're going to put out generic, like mainstream fluff, ChatGPT is going to do that better than you. So just don't even, don't even bother. Mm. But if you're the kind of person that has like, you have out the box ideas, very creative ideas, then like, what, what is that even coming from? Like basically <laughs> the unique stuff. That's like just only something that only you would say, I think for now, at least that's how, that's the stuff that I like to do. And I think that's how I can still stand out. That's great. Um, so I want to mention there is, um, uh, on the news stack overflow bland, uh, banned, uh, ChatGPT. And I want to ask, what 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 do you think is the reason? I understand that you know the the error rate that ChatGPT have is a lot is very high. So they possibly ban it because they want they, they don't want to get false information. Um, but but what's your thought on that? It's interesting. You're about to say it's you're about to say you said very high, but I think you're about to say it's a lot higher than humans or whatever, right? Right. And I'm glad you yeah. caught yourself because it's like, we don't know that. Okay. So the first, the first question is that, Hey, let's ban stack. Let's ban ChatGPT because it's wrong. I'm like, okay, even if it's wrong, humans are wrong all the time. Let's ban humans. Right. You can't ban <laughs> ChatGPT because it, cause it's wrong. Cause it's like humans are wrong too. You, you, unless you can, unless you can prove that ChatGPT is wrong more than humans. Okay. Maybe then you're onto something, but I don't, for me, that hasn't been the case, right? Like, I think you probably saw my Twitter thread and maybe you can add my Twitter thread as well to the show notes where I've, yes. I, you know, I was like live tweeting my experience with ChatGPT. Yeah, it worked perfectly well for me. Like, like it, it worked well enough to be useful. That's the one thing I think. Anyway, so I think I think what we're seeing with Stack Overflow is basically what's going to happen play out like in communities all over the world where 
the reality is for a lot of people in Stack Overflow, and like if you're a moderator, you definitely fall into this category. Like the type of person that's moderator in Stack Overflow, like they get a lot of joy from like editing comments, writing them, fixing it, this, 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 this. <laughs> ChatGPT is taking them out of a job. And not even a job because they're doing it for free, but like it's taking away like their identity. Their right? joy. Their, the, the reason why people do open source projects, the why the reason why they're they're the moderator. Exactly. And that's why I'm 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 saying like what like what would we do as a human, right? Like if 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 you realize that I really actually, I actually genuinely enjoy editing people's answers and I like answering questions on Stack Overflow, but then I realize mm -hmm. that you know, and the reason why I, and, then, and I'm better at it because other people other people are busy or they don't have the knowledge that I do, but then maybe a noob can just basically oh I can just copy paste answer and give and give a ten times better answer than you that's been doing this your whole life. You're not like what am I going to do now? You know I have yeah, 200, I have two hundred thousand stars on Stack Overflow. That means nothing now. Does that piss you off? The thing, so I, I've learned to not fight against things that are inevitable, right? So mm. even with writing, right? Like I enjoy writing, you know? So it's like, why would I be like, it's, it's going to happen. Like, and this is what I said to that. Stack Overflow basically has two options. They can ban ChatGPT, but again, ChatGPT is so good that if they ban ChatGPT, someone's going to make a website where it's just basically all the answers from Stack Overflow, but just answers generated by ChatGPT. And those answers will be better than whatever's on Stack Overflow. So then no one will use Stack Overflow anymore. I won't just use the new website. Or mm. if they allow ChatGPT, again, because ChatGPT is better than humans, every single answer on, chat, on Stack Overflow will be written by ChatGPT. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, kind of, that's something, it's, it's very like, it's, to me, it's almost like a, and this is why I noticed that you, if you look at like the whole like AI is gonna take over the world, it's mostly like smart people that believe this stuff. Cause once you start to think about it, like, like ChatGPT was the first thing I'm like, yep, this is how, cause a lot of times it's the Silicon Valley people that are saying things like, yeah, we'll take over the world. And you're like, okay, like this is just Silicon Valley people saying stuff again. But when I saw ChatGPT, I, I just kind of knew that, like, dude, th like this thing is so good. There's no way that if it's like 99% of content on Stack Overflow will not be written by ChatGPT. It's inevitable. Mm. So mm. again, I don't like to fight against progress. I, I liked, I liked it. It's okay, this thing's gonna happen. Embrace How can it. I embrace Build it and win it. it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I have a, a. I'm very curious. So I'll give you an example. So uh, when we go to grade one element, elementary school, we learn. Um, how to do basic functions like one plus one equal two and two times two equal four. And we don't use calculator to do that. Um, and we slowly introduce calculator later on because we mastered, we understand what the plus minus multiplication is. So that uh, th the reason why we don't use a calculator in the very beginning is to help us understand and learn the process. But what, I, what I see from a lot of students right now is that they don't know how to do it but they use ChatGPT to help them do the project or help them to run an essay. Um, so in my opinion, ChatGPT might be stopping them from um, learning and actually understanding the, uh, the stuff that this, uh, the school are given to them. So do you think that school should ban it or how can they embrace and utilize it in a good way that student can at the same time enforce learning and not, you know, being, um, left behind by, by the technological advancement. Yeah, this is a very good question. Like, so the one of the things one of the things I start asking myself is, why do we learn things, right? Like, why do I learn how to code? Okay, I learn how to code because I want to make a website. Um, but if I can make a website without coding, then I don't need to code and learn how to code anymore, right? Like, and, and this is some this is as a software engineer, right? Which is that like, so you know, sitting with school, like I'm like it's an open question. I I need to probably think about a bit more about, but. Like the reason why, like even like adding one plus one is equal to two, right? Like the reason why we may have needed to do that before in the past was that if you go to the store and buy, like actually now that I even think about it, like do people even need to know? Like I don't know. It's it's an interesting question because like 
do people even need to know how to add? Like, it sounds weird, but like, do you even need to know how to add? Because like, every like, every single time we see a number, you can just put it in the calculator, right? Right. So, right. I think what we, we need to really flip our mindset to what it is that what like, what do people need to learn? Like, what do you need to be able to know how to do? And then how can you just chat GPT to augment all that stuff, right? So, I don't know. But I don't, the other thing I think that's actually super smart is the UX of ChatGPT, right? Because because it's chat based, it, it matches right. how humans learn, which is humans learn by conversation. Right, so mm. you figure out, so you realize when you talk to ChatGPT, it's like very iterative. It's not like coding right. where, like you know, you have to, it's like you just it, you ask it something. Hey, how do I um how do I like how do I get started with programming in JavaScript? You say some oh, what about this? What about that? Can you elaborate more on that? So it's it's like there's like this thing called the Socratic method, where it's like call and response, call and response. So I I think I think definitely don't ban it because that's dumb and it won't work. I think, but I'm just trying to like because I do agree with your point though, which is that like. If people can just use ChatGPT for anything, will they actually learn how to do it? I don't know. I have to think about that a bit more. So, like, I, I know you talk to a lot of students and and um, you um, help them on a daily basis. Um, so, so has student been using it right now? And what are some ways that they're using it? So, yeah, like right now, a lot of students are using it. Kind of, I guess, the lazy way where like they're just copy pasting their answers. So this is actually how this is this is how actually how I would do it. Because also a lot of the thing about school too, a lot of assignments they're just a waste of time. If we're being honest, like they actually don't even help you. Like, like yes, honestly, I this and then again, like if, like if, if we have time, we can talk about Atila too. Because like I have a lot of thoughts on the education system, and that's why you know I started Atila. Was like, yeah, it makes no sense. It's one thing to go into debt. It's nothing to go into debt to like learn useless stuff, right? So like you know that's kind of why I started Atila, right? To help people like not have to go into huge amounts of debt to help them find scholarships. Yeah. Um, but you know the thing about school assignments is that like I learned more during my side projects than I did in school. And then, so like one thing like I would try to do is like, I literally tried to optimize my life. So I would spend the least amount of time on schoolwork and more time learning outside the classroom. And so I think you're right. What we'll end up having is that some students are just kind of, maybe they don't really like school or they're kind of lazy. I don't know what it is. They're just gonna use ChatGPT to like copy paste all their answers and they're gonna go through school not knowing anything. But the smart way to use ChatGPT would be like, okay, this assignment is like kind of bogus and is a waste of time. I'm just gonna copy paste the answer to ChatGPT, get that done quickly. But then come back later and use ChatGPT to actually teach me these concepts. You know what mm. I mean? So, for example, mm. I would just use, like, if I was a student, what I would do, I'm not saying you should do this, but actually, maybe you should do this, is take the problem set, throw it into ChatGPT, copy, paste the answer, submit it, assignment done, and 10 minutes done. Now I have the rest of the day to do what I want. Now I can sit down and say, okay, that first question, explain to me why the answer was 3x equals y. Do you know what I mean? Explain to me why you did this for number two. Oh, but what about this? What if I had done this, right? So it's like, you get the assignment done and out of the way, get the good grade. And then you can now sit down with ChatGPT and ask it questions the same way you would ask a professor. But but don't you think um, that education is also a process for you to find out what you like? If you don't even spend the process to um, do the assignment, how do you know like whether you like the, the assignment or not? Like, I, I guess like what you were saying is that, you know, do the assignment do the assignment that you don't like and focus your time learning and asking GPT about the stuff that you like, you want to learn. So, so the assignment and, and the thing that you learn are, are completely different. The assignment and the thing that you learn are completely, yeah. Like, cause I'm just trying to think when I was a student, like even I'll use economics as a perfect example. I actually really sure. like economics, but the way economics was taught in my school, it was like, to me, it was kind of fake because it was like this whole thing of like, if, if the curve, if 3x GDP, I, I can't remember so long ago, but it's like, you know, like this curve where it's like, if 3x GDP <laughs> is equal to Y, does it shift right? Is it a leftward? Is it in the demand curve and the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is so, you're going to say something? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so no, like I, I want to say I, I, I agree with you so much. Like when I was in school, I was learning uh, economic, macroeconomic, microeconomic. Macro. They were teaching as you. They were teaching as useful concept, like you know the physical policy, monetary policy, and but they were using graphs and unrelated facts that's not even up to date to teach us those concepts. But later on, when I was listening to like for example, all in podcasts, reading about the news, they were using a lot of the term that we were taught in school, and I have to revisit them because I, I couldn't really memorize or remember a lot of the term what they mean but what what like i think if people who have not listened to all in podcasts you guys should listen because they they, they talk up they talk about the news and the macroeconomic trend at the market every single episode every week um so w- what they did is that they relate uh, the latest news to the underlying economic principles and then using the economic uh, news set up the relevance so that you understand what's happening right now and uh, and the uh, the economic principles are the way for you to understand why it happens a certain way that it happens right now. So that that to me, I learned. I, I, I even uh, tweeted that I learned more about economic listening to all in podcasts than I was I did uh, in school <laughs> doing the courses. That's so how I it really is. That's yeah. how it is. And I, I learned more from uh, Nassim Taleb and you know all these people than I do in class. So that's why I'm saying that like if it's a case of getting assignments done, you like basically you use ChatGPT. Like you can use it for both. Use it to get the assignment done, and then you use it to learn, right? Yeah, and uh, I, I want to know um, what what is the biggest problem that you see in education. I think that's also how you relate to how you decided to go into education, right? So, w- what is something that you notice that it's really boggling you in your mind? I guess there's two big problems. One is that I think we need to we need to do a better job of cultivating people's curiosity. Right. Mm. I think that I think deep down, all of us as human beings, we all want to like we all want to like be challenged. You know, we all want to be doing right. things that get us excited. And I think what school does for a lot of people is that it, it kills your curiosity. Right. Like almost everyone I've met, they're excited about something. But school is forcing them to learn stuff that they have no interest. And in. like the, the biggest thing I always feel like is that you, the, the most important thing as this person, as a student, is that they need to just have a love of learning. It doesn't matter what it is, but they need to just love like they need to get up every day. And like, if maybe it's being a mechanic, like they love fixing cars. Because what school does is that school basically says that um, you don't like doing you don't like doing polynomials you don't like you don't like doing calculus okay well then you're useless you're gonna get an F and the problem with that is that not only do you kill their love of math but then you also kill their love of like the other thing that they actually do like because they're like because by you, they're just so drained so I think that school has to do a better job of like just basically letting people double down on what they're good at and being like okay if you don't like this just forget about it don't don't even waste time doing it like you'll be fine. So I think that's the best, biggest thing is that school needs to do a better job of like, like fostering people's curiosity and keeping up their, like their love of learning because learning is fun. And, mm. and, 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 and the second thing I would say is like the financial hurdle, right? But like, mm. you know, for Canada, America, a lot of time school is very much pay to play where, you know, it's like the more money you have, the better the schooling is. And when you look at what countries in Europe are able to do where it's like, like the education, is not even a function of wealth. It's more just a function of the government taking care of its people then basically everyone is better off because school is actually like a public good, right? It's that like the taxpayer pays for it, but you're like, everyone is better off when you have an educated populace. Mm. And then how, how, what, what did you think that school is doing wrong? Not um, motivating people to, to, to love learning. I, I guess, you know, if you, if you want to get me one skill that I, that I can keep and raise all other skills out, choose learning and always learning because with the ability to learn and learn fast, you can literally learn all the other skills, right? So, what what did you think that school is failing doing, and um, what are your you know suggestions in a uh, 
optimal worlds, what what can we what can we do and implement to, to promote learning? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is, um, I mean, the one I, I look the most at is post second is the one I look at the most as post secondary. I think they should make it, they should make it more competitive. Like they make they should, they should make schools compete for students, right? Because you know mm. I, I believe I believe that okay. markets fix a lot of things. It's called Education Freedom Program, and you can add that to the show notes. Um, yeah. The general idea there basically was I said that okay, let's say I go to University of Toronto because that you know I should be able to say University of Toronto is my home school. And I get my mm. degree from Toronto, but I'm able to take courses in all these other different schools. The reason why this would be useful is that if if um, University of Toronto was going to take a course in their in their home university, they ha- like basically let me put it this way: I go to University of Toronto, right? But let's say I'm taking an economics class, I should be able to get that economics credit from any other university in Canada or accredited private tutors, right? So basically, so you can think of the people that you know on Udemy, on Audacity that have like. And they have like a million students in their course. Like, I don't know, this is um, Dr. Angela Yu. She does like 100 days of code. By the way, I was looking at this yesterday. She has 700,000 students and each of them are paying about $25. So she's making about $25 million <laughs> from her course. Right? Oh, that's insane, bro. And then so I'm thinking, myself, okay, let's say I'm a student at University of Toronto, right? And I'm taking and I'm studying like web development. I'm taking a web development course. I can either take that course from the local University of Toronto professor or I can pay uh, maybe that lady at, at Course of Code, maybe to get the course from her. And the idea now is that if U of T has to compete with me to get, so even though I'm at the school, U of T, I'm paying them like my residence fee, maybe like a student fee, whatever, but they have to compete for me for every, like, so maybe instead of paying like, let's say 20K tuition at U of T, I pay like, let's say 10, 5K tuition at U of T. And I pay what, 2K to all these other, for each of my classes. Does that make sense so far? And then so each yes. class, I can either take it at U of T or I can take it somewhere else. <clears throat> So now instead of U of T getting $20,000 from me all in one go, they only get $5,000 and they have to compete for me for each of those $15,000 for each of those other courses for the other $15,000. And then mm. in order to get that, to get that, they have to basically offer like a very, very compelling value proposition. And so I think when schools are forced to compete for students' detention, then they basically have to up their quality or they will just disappear and they'll get replaced by something better. But, but I think that also depends on the, the education quality, which means the professors or the teacher that, that they get, right? So, so I think that so so one of the very interesting um, theory that I heard, I don't know, is it from Allen or whatever? So um, they were saying that the students should only learn from the best. There are millions of teachers out there, but there's one or two that does the job the best. And what they suggest is that they can have those uh, teachers record. Uh, the courses, economics, uh, computer science, online. And then uh, all the students, they can go to school and watch the video of the best person teaching it. So at the same time, they're they're learning from the best, but but also they're interacting with their peers to learn together and doing projects together. So I'm not sure that like that that is a, you know, I think that's similar to what you mentioned, but this is in a more much more local scale and, and um, people can have the freedom to choose. So I, I think that the, the 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 point that you were trying to say that people should um, the students should have the best education that they can get from each different courses, uh, like throughout the the city, and and the and the school should make it competitive so that they can offer a better product, like like how startup work, right? You need to have competition to have a better product so that the customer can choose and and to, to choose from which uh, which one to to buy from. And there's a reason why there's antitrust to to ban you from a monopoly. You know, you're so, it's so funny you use the word monopoly because literally I was about to say that one of the problems with education right now is that the government has a monopoly on educating people. So there's no mm. incentive for them to improve their product. 
the part that you mentioned about the tuition is very interesting because they can charge um, the, the, the tuition fee increases every year and it's almost up to the, I'm not sure the government, the university to do that. And there's no competition for it to drive down. So, you know, like, um, tell me a little bit more about how the tuition system work and how you think that's, that can be fixed as well. Yeah. So there's a couple of problems with tuition. Again, the biggest problem to me is again, it's a monopoly, right? And you see this now even yeah. with Apple with your, I don't know if you're following the, I think you are following the NFT stuff where. Apple's trying to charge 35% every time you pay for yeah. gas fees or something like that. This right. is just typical monopoly behavior, right? When someone becomes a monopoly, they just start, it's like, they just become a rent collector, right? They own something, they just mm. like rent. There's no incentive to improve. And I think a big mm. problem with universities, again, like you, all these schools, it's like, they're just a monopoly in education. So they can just charge you even like, and the thing is like, when, when you figure out what's going on with international students, it's like a racket. You know, you're paying like, let's say 20, like 10K as a U of T student. And so also we're paying like six times the cost. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. But why? I'm an international it's... student. <laughs> so like, it's crazy. I, I, like, yeah. What school you went to U of T or what school you go to? U of T. So I pay like 30 K a semester. That's, that's 60,000 a year. Yeah. I, that's, I, a, that's, a down every year. that's crazy. That's a down payment. Dude, you could basically buy a house when the you're done school. Yeah. You know, so, it's so, messed so up. I'll tell you. The, 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 the one of the motivation that I had is to not uh, let my parents' money go to waste. And I think that's one of the biggest to let me not not study hard. So, so like, it's, it's one of the biggest driving force because, you know, I think my parents, I literally told them, you know, you know, you, you made such a huge investment on me. You could have you could have used the same investment to invest on something else. And I could even like, if I learn the knowledge or the ability to invest, I can use the money and I can quit school and use that money to invest in something valuable and I can increase in value. Right. But I, but I guess. Um, education can't really be valued. Well, if it, it can be valued, then it's it's very hard to value as well, right? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we say education can be valued, but all these schools charge tuition, so obviously they're valuing it at something. Hmm. Right. So what, what do you think that, do you think education can be valued and how much do you think it's optimal, like a, a, a reasonable amount for students to pay? And that's why I say that, like, that should not, like, we should let the markets decide these things because at let the end of the day, like, decide. I don't believe, honestly, because the alternative to the market is you have some government official somewhere, or some economist giving their own subjective opinion on this course should cost $20,000. How do you know that? Oh, I did the study, but all these studies are all, are all I, I did the study in this graph, but this graph and the study is all backed up by an opinion somewhere, right? Mm. You should let the market decide, you know, pick, maybe pick $5,000, whatever, like for like, like a, what I call a home fee. So, you have to get your degree from somewhere. So maybe you pay the, the UFT, the home fee, but all these other credits, like you, you can do, and then you can shop, right? Maybe you just want to optimize for quality. Like, you know what, for economics, I just want to find the cheapest place I can get an economics accredited course. You could do that. Or you know what, actually, I want to learn from this really good prof and it costs a bit more money. You can do that. Right. So mm -hmm. I really don't, I think like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of being too prescriptive with how things work. I think people should decide. And you know, it's, it's interesting too, though, right? Cause you know, as much as like you are motivated by the, by the, you know, like the, you want to like kind of make sure your parents' money is not going to waste. Same thing with me, right? Like when I, and even if you're on the Tila page, right? If you're on the about a Tila page, I have a screenshot of my TD line of credit. And on that page, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll just show it to you, send it to you. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, I have a screenshot of my TD line of credit. I'm like, yo, that debt to me is motivation, right? They're like, I'm graduating about $70,000 <laughs> in debt. I can either become very sad or angry about it, or you know what? I can use that as motivation. And that's basically one of the things that motivated me to start Atila, right? So, so I always tell people like you can take lemons and turn it into lemonade.
Wow. So you, you had a line of credit of 16,000 or a 63,000? So the, the credit, the limit was 80,000 and I had about, I was owing about 60 at, at this point, I think it's like 68,000. And see, it's another thing too, right? I'm lucky because I'm, I'm a domestic student, so I can get those student loans. Who's international? You can't even get access to OSAP. You can't get access to student loans. It's a lot tougher for, actually, I mean, I made a video about this. I'll send it to you as well. Like what's, I think what's amazing about you is that you actually literally write down records, all your thoughts and all the things that you feel passionate about. So, you know, in, in these one chat, you're sending me 10 links to, <laughs> to, to see your complete and more comprehensive view or, or thought process in those topics that we talk about. So I think for, for like, this is something I, I also want to learn as well. Like, you know, this just adds so much credibility. You write down your thoughts. You're not just talking, right? You have, you know, the valid proof that the comprehensive view of certain things. So I think that's really great. Like for, for those of you who's listening, I think it's a great practice for you to do as well. Thank you, Frank. And you know what, actually, like, let, 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 let's, let's riff on this a bit more. Cause I think this is such an important point. I was telling my sister yeah. the other day that I think it's important for people to have what I call opinions on things and what I call long form opinions on things. So, mm. and, and they should ideally, and this is kind of cool. This is why it goes back to the whole chat GPT thing, right? Cause you realize that what a lot of people do and it's fun at the start is they just regurgitate other people's thoughts. So if you ask them, what do you think about ChatGPT? Basically, gonna, they're just going to repeat whatever the top three most liked takes on Twitter are. And they're just going to give that back to you, right? But you have to develop this ability to, like, if someone asks you what you think about ChatGPT, like, you should tell them something about that. Oh, I haven't, I haven't considered that opinion before, right? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And I right. think one of the best ways to get that is by writing, you know? Like, because sometimes people ask me, like, hey, do I need to write? Some people don't like writing. I'm like, I think you really do need to write because Paul Graham says this all the time, right? Writing is thinking right? Mm. And then so what, what writing really for forces you to do, it allows you to basically have an idea and then kind of walk people through. It's almost like, it's like a journey, right? You have to like, when you have a good idea that's like well-formed and, you know, talking about all in podcasts, Chamath does this very well, even though, you know, Chamath is an interesting guy, but anyway, he does this really well. Like he will walk you through a thought and like, you can see, like, he'll be like, you know, the thing about X is that eight, it's like the thing about one is that two, three, and four. But then when you think about mm. five, you think about six. And that's why I always say seven and eight. And then when you think about nine, 10, so like you, he'll like walk <laughs> you through a journey from one to 10. And you can tell like, he's thought about this before. And what I realized mm -hmm. a lot of people are very well-spoken is that you think they're just coming up with this on the spot, but a lot of times they've like, they've like thought about like this before. Not only have they thought about it, they've like practiced explaining it either to themselves or to their friends. So when they talk, it's like very well-formed, it's very coherent narrative. Yeah, I noticed that too. And, and I always tell people, he's one of the person one of the few persons that I saw in this entire world that can, you know, uh, describe or illustrate an idea so clearly in a way that anyone can understand in such a great logic. That's what's mm -hmm. crazy about it. And I think that th this thing, he also practices a lot. So if you've given him a new topic and he can formulate all his ideas behind and he can lay, lay it out very quickly on this one, two, three, four. And I think that's a very powerful skill to communication because you can, mm -hmm. the communication is about logic and, and understanding. If you don't understand me, there's no communication. So like, that, that's a very good point that you mentioned. How are you, you know? developing that skill? I, I, I'm like, to be honest, I think one of the things that I want to improve the most is my logic in, in speaking. I think I have some good ideas, but I don't know how to, you know, say it in the very logical way. And I, I want to, I want to learn how, like, I, I, I'm not, I've not been writing quite a bit after I graduate, but you know, for, for you, I think did writing help you a lot. Oh, good. And honestly, I would recommend. I would recommend, honestly, Frank, I would really recommend you start writing. Like it's, it's going to, and I'll, I'll just be mm. honest. I'll just tell you this now. So you won't be so hard on yourself. Mm. Not only will be your first bit of writing bad, it will actually be painful for you to like read your own writing. 
Like you will cringe. <laughs> I'm telling you, you will cringe. You'll be like you, but that's that's the only way you get better. And you have to put it out. I always tell people you have to put it out, right? So mm. I, would, I would encourage you to start writing, put it out. Also, I like I like the I like the combination of blogging and tweeting and Twitter threads because what Twitter does is that Twitter forces you to distill ideas into like um, concise bite-sized pieces, right? So one thing you have to remember that people, especially now with like TikTok and stuff, humans have very short attention spans. So you have to like be able to like say things in like in like in like a sentence or two sentences and that's it. Move on to the next idea. So you mm-hmm. know, like I would say, if you're not comfortable with like writing long-form blog posts, maybe write use Twitter threads first and then move over to um, long-form blog posts. But I really encourage you to start doing more writing and do more Twitter threads. Mm. I, I want to ask you, did you have, um, for example, interesting ideas or ideas that people does not have before you started writing? And how has that changed after you start? So, yeah, this one, and I, again, I think about like, it's, it comes down to your information source. So the thing about me is that I read all kinds of things. I read things that would probably get me quote unquote canceled. Right. Depending on the, you know what I mean? <laughs> Depending on who I'm talking to, if I'm talking like a left person or a right person, the, like I read stuff that would get me canceled in either party. Right. And mm. that's actually how you get interesting ideas. When you, when you, when you read people that are like weird, unorthodox, um, crazy, um, mm. that's actually how you get a lot of good ideas. Cause you know, these are people mm. and, and this way you have to like, you have to like really curate your information feed because again, 99% of people, they just consume whatever their, their algorithm feeds them. Right. And a lot of people, your algorithm is going to feed you whatever, like the mainstream consensus is. Even if you think you're left or rightist, like it's like a very right. like narrow range, right? But for me, mm-hmm. I really go out of my way to like find really obscure pieces. People that says, don't listen to that person, it's crazy. I'm like, let me just hear what they have to say, right? And so I think because I collect so many weird different places, I get a lot of good ideas. Mm. So, so in the beginning, were you just referencing and using their ideas to f- sort of formulate an idea? And then after you read a lot more information and start writing, you start having to create your own thought and process and be able to critically think and what's unique from others. Is, is that how the process went? Yeah. You know, honestly, and even till today, like 80% of the things I say, I'm just like, what, I, what I'm good at is I'm good at like curating other good ideas and just bringing them to other people that don't know they exist. Right. Like the mm. thing I said about heaven banning, right? Like this is guy, George Hotz. And he literally mm. like, I'm just repeating what he told me. He, Actually, no, two people said that. One person said that, and then another guy that I think he was a product manager at Reddit. He said that this is what they used to do to users in Reddit. They used to like have like they already use heaven banning in Reddit, right? So I just took those mm-hmm. two people that I've already done it before. I combined their ideas together. And I just presented it in a different way that's more understandable. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's you know, basically, and yeah, so that's another thing too. I would say that when you first start off, it's really just like I think when you first start writing and communicating, it's really just taking other people's ideas and explaining it in your own voice. And then right. after a while, you get so many different people's ideas that you find and find your own, you start to come up with new ideas, which by the way, is what ChatGPT does actually, is that basically ChatGPT is just repeating the collective intelligence of all of humanity. Just tell me very briefly, how, how did you start at Tillet and, and you know, what, what is the vision that you guys are going for? Yeah. Um, so and and I, how, how is it going now? Yeah. So um, the reason I started at Tillet, because this is like a problem I've had for a long time, which is paying for my education, right? Right. I went to the most expensive undergrad program in Canada, even more expensive than U of T, actually, at about $30,000 really? a year. Um, I was studying engineering and business. And so I had an internship at a bank and we were helping small um, small businesses get grants, like basically automating grant applications. And I was like, you know, I actually don't think the grants to small businesses is the best target market for this. We need to take this exact same technology and apply it to students, right? So I tried to pitch mm. RBC on this idea and they were like, I don't really see it, this, this, that. I'm like, forget that. I'm going to focus. I'm going to build it myself. 
And then, mm. so the kind of the genesis of Ideal was a combination of like this is a personal problem I have. Where again, if you owe that much money in student loans, like getting a part time job is not going to make a big dent in it. Like you need to kind of no. you need to get like huge amounts of money at once to pay it off. And scholarship is the best way to do that. Applying for scholarships is painful. So mm. I, you know, I, I've been through it all before. I'm like, you know, as an engineer, I'm like, okay, well, if I, whenever I problem, like, okay, how can I build software to solve this problem? And so basically, I'm like, okay, let me build this program that maybe help me just find scholarships. And the next step was, okay, let me build a program to help me apply for scholarships. And then I'll let me go find companies to help me sponsor scholarships on the platform. And then let me make that available to everyone and all students. And that's how Attila came to be. And what are the few things that you started doing? I guess you're a software engineer, so you started writing codes. And so what, what are the early day like? Yeah, you know, that's actually the funny thing that when I first started Attila began, because I was, I was, I was, I was wearing the software engineering hat and only the software engineering hat. So I would just lock myself in a room and write code. But then I mm. finally learned that, like, actually, in order to build a company, what really matters even more is talking to users and talking to people. So this right. is so actually what I spend a lot of time doing nowadays is talking to a lot of students, going to schools, going to high schools, talking to students, asking them what problems they have, give, hosting events. Um, so to me, like, so to me, that's actually what I spend most of my time doing now, and trying to figure out like what are the problems the students have, and that's what's kind of what led me to the mentorship piece, right? Because right. when we were talking to a lot of students, you know, especially we post a lot of content online. Some of the questions people ask me a lot is like, how do I do this? Should I do that? What I, what should I do with my life? I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm like, what if we could connect you with a mentor to kind of help you with all these things? And again, so that's how like from talking to users, I realized, okay, scholarships is like one piece we should do. But then the other piece is we should have mentors. So then we also added like a peer-to-peer -peer mentorship service to connect students with mentors that have done what they're trying to do. And that's kind of how the genesis of like the different, Attila, like, like the different stuff in Attila came to be. Nice. And, and, uh, I guess, is there like a grand vision or like a, a goal that you guys, uh, that you are going, going after? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of visions. One vision is that I want to make it such that every student who wants to get an education can afford one. Mm. There should never be a single person on this earth that says I wanted to learn X, but I couldn't, cause I couldn't afford it. Education should be available for everyone. Like we should remove the affordability and make education available for everyone. That's the mm. big goal. The second goal. So that's the scholarship piece, this mentorship piece. The goal for that one is that everyone could benefit from having a one-hour conversation with someone else, right? There's something mm -hmm. you're trying to do right now that you're going to try to figure out. You're going to try a bunch of different ways to do it. But if you could just sit down and talk with the right person, they could literally save you like years and thousands of dollars, right? And that's why I say, Attila, one conversation can change your life, right? Because if you could mm -hmm. just talk with one, like, well, maybe it's you're trying to raise some money for your company or you want to like pivot to something else or you need help with, like, there's something in your life that if you just talk to the right person for one hour, they would just break down everything you've been trying to do that you're going to take you years and thousands of dollars to figure out. And so how can we sort of take these people that have the knowledge, the people that need this knowledge and connect them together? Mm. Uh, how, how do you make sure that um, they're talking to the right person? Because I, I think mentorship is really um, about finding the right match. You could talk, uh, you could talk to like 10 person, but none of them, their information is valuable. And mm -hmm. if you talk to one that can change your life. Right? Exactly. And I think your mission is to find the one that can change your life. So how do you make sure that happens? Yes. So um, first thing is by, by starting with a very targeted niche. So we are mm. starting specifically right now for um, people that want to play varsity soccer in university, right? So that's kind mm. of what the niche we're focusing on. And not, but more specifically than that, like we're being very intentional about the kind of mentors that we bring on. So we're again, we're like the whole do things that don't scale. So like I've manually talked to every single mentor we have on the platform so far. And I've also basically asked them their story, what, like, you know, if you were to give some advice, what would you be able to give mentorship about? So I know the mentors very, very well, and I know that they're very high quality. Then once you basically make sure the mentors are high quality, you can then now start talking to students, figuring out what the students are looking for and say, okay, 
I think you should talk to this person or you put enough of their bio and their information available on the platform. So the students and the, you know, the parents can like self-select who they want to talk with. Mm, interesting. And then how is it going so far? Like, I know you've been helping like a thousand students, you know, how's it been going so far? Yeah. So the scholarship part has been going really well. We have about 3000 students we've helped we're about 6,000 visitors a, week, a month to the website. And we've raised about $50,000 in scholarships for students. So that piece wow, is going really well. Yeah, I'm very happy about that. And then for this, for the mentorship piece, um, that one launched very recently. So we're still on the pilot stages. So we have about, let's say 30, 40 mentors on the platform. And then, so now we're trying to basically like launch the, like getting the students and the mentees and the parents on. That's crazy. That, that's amazing, man. And I, I'm always curious because I, I see you post a lot of, a lot of stuff uh, about crypto. I thought you were building uh, a crypto startup, but when I look into it more, you're building, you're building an edtech. So I'm not sure how these two relate or are, are they actually being implemented together? So t tell yeah. me more about that. So this is, this is another thing that I <clears throat> go back and forth on is that like people say you should always be very focused and I do try to be focused, but I also have a lot of varied interests. And so like, I, I like, sometimes I feel like I have to scratch that. Like I, I can't just look at crypto and not touch it. Right. So even chat GPT now, I'm like, like, should I, should I go to AI? <laughs> you know, I'm so like, you know, so, but the thing I realized is that the end user actually doesn't, the, the end user is agnostic about the problem, but is agnostic about the, about the tools. Yep. But religious about the solution. Right. So what that means right. is they don't care if you're using AI, if you're using crypto, they just care that, are you solving a problem for me? Right. So the problem exactly. students have is they need funding for school and they need mentorship, they need advice on what to do with their life. Give that to them. Whether you use that with crypto, whether you do that with AI, whether you do that with just talking to people, just give them the solution. So to the user, we try not to confuse them with all that logic and like we just kind of abstract away all that complexity. And then, so for them, they just basically see, I can get funding for Aquila. And if, if I don't live in, and this is why we added crypto, right? Cause it's like, if I don't live in Canada, if I don't live in America, I don't have access to the American and Canadian banking financial system. Crypto is a global payments network. So again, we got a lot of interest in Attila from students in like Nigeria and like Ghana and, oh. and even like Finland. So that's actually why, I do, this is why I do these things, right? Like as much as I love the technology, I'm driven by what do people want. So I'm like, people right. want to get paid in scholarships regardless of where they are in the world. Crypto solves that for them. So that's kind of why mm. these, all th these things are all linked together because they're all about what the user wants. That's amazing. And uh, has that actually happened? Because I, I would imagine... Um, the institutions or the persons is giving them the uh, the uh, scholarship, uh, they're using their money in cash. Are they willing to use crypto? And, and how does that work? The crypto part has been tough. This is kind of why like, I, I'm experimenting different things. The crypto part has been very, very, very tough sell. So that's kind of why mm. it came with the 50,000 we raised is, is, is through cash and fiat, not crypto. So the crypto mm. one is like, we're still trying to figure out, like we're still trying to find ways to incentivize people to do um, crypto scholarships. Mm, okay. And then I, I guess w when was the first time that you thought, you know, you learn about crypto, you learn about blockchain and it's like a same moment that you just had with ChatGPT, like an eye-opening moment. I, I, I would imagine that happened. Right. So what, the, what was the time and what happened? Yeah. The thing that's interesting is that I've been in crypto space since like 2017. Mm. I've been in crypto space in 2017, but I always felt like it was too early. Like I was always like, man, what? who's using this stuff? Like, this is cool, but like, no, like, like, this is all like just buzzwords and white papers and people just talking about stuff. Like who's act, what is the problem you're actually solving? And then, you know, the thing about crypto is always funny. Like whenever the price goes up, it always gets people's attention, you know, number go up. And then, so <laughs> I remember it was, must've been like around 2020, 2021. I'm like, cause it's so again, like I've already been in the crypto space for a long time. So like, I would just always periodically check in. Like I even think I had like dollar cost averaging where like every week or every month, I just buy like a couple hundred dollars worth of crypto. 
Oh. And then, yeah, so, but not for that long. Like, and then the thing is that, like, you look back, you're like, man, I wish I bought even more. Like, cause, you know, it's not that much, but, but then I don't know. I think it was on 2018, 2019. Or I, actually, I don't even think I had auto buy on. I had some crypto just like locked up somewhere. But then, like, I was, <laughs> I was buying, it was, just, it was just sitting there. I'm like, man, I should have uh. bought one. Right. And then the number went up. Everyone was talking about crypto. And then, like, and again, so in between 2017, let's say 2020, students have been messaging me all over the world saying, hey, I know, I see you're doing Attila. I'm a student in X. I'm a student in Y. I'm looking for scholarships. Can you help me? And I would be like, sorry, I can't. Retila is only in Canadian and American, Canada, Canada and America right now. And then mm. I'm like, wait a minute. If I do crypto, then anyone in the world can get the scholarship. And so like the light bulb moment was literally like 2020, 2021, where I'm like, okay, I know about crypto. I know how it works. Now I finally have students. So I have a solution, but now I found the problem is that students, students all over the world need to get paid for school. Mm. If you tie them together, that's the product right there. Mm. And then um, you mentioned it's been very difficult to implement that. So what are the bottlenecks and what you think uh, can be changed to make that happen? It's not difficult to implement. It's difficult to um, explain to other people, right? So mm. the bottleneck, again, is adoption that companies have, like, and the thing about companies, like, individuals, like, we think like, individuals have, are very fixed in the behavior. Like, and again, this is, this is why you have to, like, it's a tough one, right? Because the financial, like people are very much already tied into the existing financial infrastructure. So what this means is that people are already very much like they have their bank accounts, they have their, even people like they have their credit cards, they send their friends, interact, e-transfers or cash app or whatever they use. Right. So to get people to adopt and switch over to a new system is very, very, very difficult. Mm. Now to get even companies to do that is even harder. Cause like, again, mm. I worked with a big company recently to get about let's say $55,000. Like that took so much work payment vendors, you have to fill out all these forms. Now to get them to do that for crypto is even harder, right? So right. The, the bottleneck is just onboarding users and basically the switching cost of going from the fiat traditional system to the crypto system. But do you think that's going to happen one day? Um, of course. Considering something happened or the adoption exists? Yes, because at the, like, the fundamental, at the very fundamental level, no one government should be in control of the money supply. Mm. That's essentially what it just comes down to. And that's, yeah. that's the problem that crypto is actually trying to solve. Like when you, when you remove everything, like if you, like if you think about it now, right, we live in a dollar based economy, right? So if you're, right. if you're in, if you're in Nigeria, if you're in China, if you're in India, if you're in Russia, if you're in Brazil, you're doing most of your commerce, you're doing most of your international business in a currency that is controlled by another government. No, right. I'm telling you right now, no government likes that situation, but they have mm -hmm. no other choice. Right. And people have tried, they've tried to do all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, you kind of have, everything comes back to the dollar system. And what's best for the world and what everyone, and the thing is that I, I make this, it's almost like a, it's almost like a catch 22 where no government, everybody, every government wants the world to use their currency, but no right. government wants to, and, and, but no, no government wants to use other people's currency. So the solution actually that, and I think where the world will end up is a currency that's not controlled by anyone. And that's kind of, and that's what Bitcoin and Ethereum are. They're not controlled by anyone. And so to me, it's inevitable. It's just a question of when. And how it's going to play out, but I think it's 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 it's, almost, it's, it's just like it's a, back to the chat chat GPT thing. This seems to me like an obvious foregone conclusion. Mm. Do you do you wish to include uh, chat GPT and Attila too? Are you if thinking about sense. that already? Well, you know it's funny. One thing I was thinking about is that like, oh, like, what would happen if students started like right? So one of the things Attila has is that like you can apply for a scholarship on the Attila platform. And mm. the one thing I was thinking is that it'd be interesting if students basically started applying for scholarships using chat GPT and would be banned. <laughs> and be like, no, no, why, why, you know, why? You know, because then then the reviews can also just review it using ChatGPT, or they might change it to like maybe audio, video based interviews. You know, there's lots of things, but um, 
again, for me, I'm, I'm always, I, I, as much as I love the technology, I'm always driven by what the users want, how will this help people? So once I right. find the product market fit, for sure, I'm going to integrate it. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, whatever you do with, with, with uh, ChatGPT and even Attila. Uh, and um, coming to, um, uh, you mentioned about books before. So I, I want to, you, 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 you said you read, like, you know, all types of different books. And, you know, has there been any, like, a few books that really changed your life that you'd, you'd really recommend, you know, me or the listener to, to check out? Yeah. The Black Swan, I would have it right there. Let me have to pull some of them up. Yeah. Yeah, maybe just give a, a very short description of what they talk about and why it changed your life. Yeah, the Black Swan. This introduced me. Oh, okay, now I'm kind of blurred again, but you know, the right. Black Swan, Nassim Taleb. Again, another very controversial figure, but great thinker. Very a lot of controversial ideas. He introduced me to the idea of like leverage, what I would call leverage in society, which is the idea that you know you want to do things that you put in one x effort, you get ten x or hundred x output. Benjamin Franklin, biography of Benjamin Franklin and the autobiography as well, recommend. Um, I recommend studying historical figures, seeing he's very big on education, very big on media. Mm. Like he, so, you know, you're talking about like being able to speak well. He's the one yeah. that basically made me like really double down on becoming a better speaker. Because basically there's a great story about how he basically single-handedly convinced Philadelphia to increase the money supply because he wrote such a well-written letter. So very, very <laughs> good. Writing. Yeah. So I really recommend that. Wow. Um, Paul Graham, Hackers and Painters. So he's the one that kind of exposed me to the idea of um, thinking new ideas, thinking like not, I wouldn't say controversially, but having, like, being able to like think outside of the mainstream consensus view, the mm. potential of technology, why startups are so important. Um, one more I'd actually really recommend. Man, there's so much. Elephant, elephant in the Brain. This guy I really liked Robin Hanson. So what I like okay. about, uh, what I like about Robin Hanson is that he's, his whole, like, he basically thinks that humans are very irrational and we do a lot of like, you know, we lie to ourselves all the time. And yeah. so he basically recommends like being honest. Oh, being honest with yourself. And actually, sorry, I have one more. This is a really big one. Uh, yeah. Nice. This might actually be my favorite book of all time by one of my favorite thinkers. And I would really, really recommend this one. It's called Poor Charlie's Almanac. Oh, okay. What is it? Yeah. About? It's, it's by Charlie Munger. It's a collection okay. of different stories. And it basically just talks about, um, it's just basically called a collection of different stories talking about how the human mind works, how the world works, and how investing works. Okay, that, that's great. Why, why do you think, you know, those entrepreneurs like Paul Graham or Charlie Munger, they're able to have such a unique insight, not on the business that they have, but also um, in terms of humanity, the society? Because uh, what's surprising, because I was reading a lot about um, Paul Graham as well. He doesn't just talk about startup. He doesn't just talk about YC. He talked about how, um, human psychology work. He talked about uh, how to, you know, have critical thinking and, and have unique ideas. Like, like, why do you think those entrepreneurs can have such an interesting view? Yeah, a couple of reasons. One, they're very curious. They're mm. very curious people. They they don't they don't allow people to box them, right? So a lot of times when Paul Graham will tweet something, people will be like, Paul Graham, st stick to sports. It's like when people tell LeBron, shut up and dribble, right? Or um, Paul Graham, stick to startups. Don't talk about these other things, but He's like, F that. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm not going to put myself in one box, right? right? So I think that's a big thing. And Charlie Munger is the same thing. Like they have opinions on wide ranges of stuff. So they're not afraid. Mm. They're not afraid to like step outside of their like intellectual box and have ideas on different mm. things. And also they're not afraid to be unpopular. Like the thing about Charlie Munger and Paul Graham is that they are, to some people, they're very controversial. And then, yeah. but they're okay with that. Like they're like, you know what? I don't need to be liked by everyone. 
And so they have very strong conviction in their beliefs. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. And then uh, the last question. So any advice for students um, that want to start their business, uh, but hesitant, any, mm -hmm. you know, anything that you want to say to them? Surround yourself with people that are doing what you want to do. Um, mm. We are very much social creatures. We very subconsciously absorb the ambitions, the goals, the fears of the people around us. And so the thing is that happens a lot of times in society is that like, you want to do something, but your fr the rest of your friends don't care about this kind of stuff. So you're like, okay, so it's probably very dumb or it's not going to work or this, this, that. No, like, and again, the beauty of being a student, so I always tell you, try to get to the best school possible. You want to be surrounded as a smart, you want to be surrounded by the smartest people possible. Because then, then when you, when you, when you see what people your age are doing, you're going to be like, wait. And also the funny thing is when you're around people your age that are doing super impressive things and you realize that, wait, that person like, is pretty much just like me. Like they procrastinate just like me. They, they watch silly videos on YouTube, just like me. It makes you, it makes you feel more confident in yourself actually. So I'll yeah. say, believe in yourself and go for it. Believe in yourself and go for it, man. Thank you, Tomiva. It was, you know, one of the most interesting conversation I'd had, and you, you honestly provided so much unique and independent thinking and insight. I appreciate you here, man. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ideas Can't Wait podcast. If you have taken something away from this episode and really enjoyed our conversation, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review on wherever you're listening or watching. It will help this podcast to reach more like-minded people like you. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next one.